0: At the Democrats' fifth presidential debate, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Cory Booker use slavery arguments for abortion. The New York Times publishes an abortion survey of Democrat candidates who all pledge their fealty to feticide. Then the Democratic Attorneys General Association initiates an abortion litmus test to abort pro-life Democrats, and the notorious enemy of unborn children, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, is hospitalized, throwing the left into a frenzy. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted. I'm your host, Seth Gruber. Welcome to the show. This is a show that's based on the radical proposition that it's wrong to kill babies, even if those babies are located six inches away in their mother's womb. So congratulations, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, you are in fact an unaborted human being who wasn't killed in the womb because your mother made the right choice. And that's my aim of this show is just to bring together a community of unaborted human beings who are grateful they weren't dismembered, and equip and call them to be an advocate for life for other unborn children whose very lives are being threatened by abortion. So, hey, if you like this show, you want to spread the word, you want more people to know that Democrats pledge their fealty to feed aside and support abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, then give this show a rating and review. Just head on down, give us a five-star rating, let us know what you think. It really helps us reach more people. So, on November 20th, the Democrats had their fifth presidential debate in Atlanta at the Tyler Payne. Harry Studios, hosted by MSNBC commentators or moderators. And uh, it was a partisan uh, makeout session, to put lightly. And so, unfortunately, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Cory Booker uh, utilized the, the old racist arguments for slavery in their support of abortion. And now, of course, pro-lifers have been pointing this out forever, right? That most of the arguments made in support of abortion tend to strangely be very reminiscent of arguments that white racists use for slavery. And that's because anytime you strip personhood from an actual biological human being to justify killing them, you're going to have a lot of bad consequences from that. And, And that enables you to make all other types of arguments to justify killing them, because if they're not persons, then who cares? Well, they're repeating that same type of arguments. And what's ironic is that their party is the party of slavery. This is nothing new. They're utilizing the same arguments against the personhood of unborn children that their political forebears did in justifying slavery. So I want to play you this clip from Elizabeth Warren that went viral because she just came right out and said it. She said the quiet part out loud. She's not hiding her cards. And she thinks abortions are human rights.
1: I believe that abortion rights are human rights. I believe that they are also economic rights. And protecting the right of a woman to be able to make decisions about her own body is fundamentally what we do and what we stand for as a democratic party. Understand this. When someone makes abortion illegal in America, rich women will still get abortions. It's just gonna fall hard on poor women. It's gonna fall hard on girls, women who don't even know that they're pregnant because they have been molested by an uncle. I want to be an America where everybody has a chance. And I know it can be a hard decision for people, but here's the thing. When it comes down to that decision, a woman should be able to call on her mother, she should be able to call on her partner, she should be able to call on her priest or her rabbi, but the one entity that should not be in the middle of that decision is the government.
0: Yay! It's a human right to kill a human being. I mean, this, like, mantra has been so overused that sometimes even pro-life individuals just kind of, like, let it get by because it's been said so often. But what is what a strange argument to dismember a biological human being, that it's actually a human right to kill a human being. So that, that's pretty strange. And then she says that abortions are also economic rights. Okay, violently mistreating human beings are not economic rights, Elizabeth Warren. And guess what? You should have learned that from your Democratic Party's racist pro-slavery history. This is the exact arguments that were made by white racists and KKK members and slave owners who didn't think that it was economically viable to make slavery illegal because they had built their entire cotton economy on the whipped blacks of on the whipped backs of blacks, of their shoulders, forcing them to work without pay. And yet she's doing the same arguments for mistreating other biological humans that her racist political forebears in the Democratic Party did to African Americans. And this is right, of course, right? You know, this is slave economy of the South in the first half of the 19th century prior to the Emancipation Proclamation was booming due to the production of cotton. Because you didn't have to pay the laborers. It was forced slavery. You didn't have to pay them anything. You mistreat them however you wanted, make them work enormously long days, and capitalize on all the gains from their work. So the immoral institution of slavery did enable economic growth, freedom, and flourishing. And now Elizabeth Warren is saying that mistreating another class of human beings is justified because it will enable the perpetrators of that injustice to achieve their own version of economic growth, freedom, and flourishing. (laughs) So according to Elizabeth Warren, she says that people need to kill their children. She says that rich women need to kill their children in order to continue pursuing wealth growth, and that if abortion is made illegal, rich women will be able to get those abortions. But I I assume the reason they're getting them is not because they can't afford the child. They're rich, right? So they would be killing their unborn child because they want to continue pursuing economic growth and wealth accumulation. But then she says poor women also need to be able to kill their children because without doing so, they will never climb the economic ladder and rise above the poverty line. Though, of course, the poverty line in America is totally subjective, right? Even those living in poverty in America are filthy rich anywhere else in the country. That's not to say that, you know, their life is easy, but our standards for poverty are, of course, very different in America. So... Poor women are going to be discriminated against, according to Elizabeth Warren, because they won't be able to afford to kill their children. And so then they're going to be kept in poverty because they're going to be forced to have another child. Of course, as we always say, with the exception of rape, nobody's forcing people to have babies. You're engaging in a consensual act of sex that is geared towards the procreation of new life. So, Elizabeth Warren, killing unborn babies whom you also deny personhood to is no way to pursue economic growth. Walking over the bodies of dead children is not a good argument for economic freedom, just as it wasn't, to walk over the whipped backs of slaves in order to pursue your vision of the good life prior to the Emancipation Proclamation. And yet we shouldn't be surprised. This is the Democratic Party. They were the party of slavery. They were the, nearly every KKK member was a registered Democrat. And now they're the party of abortion. And then so Bernie Sanders, of course, who thinks that we should fund abortions overseas to help overpopulation problems, but doesn't have the courage of convictions, of his convictions to suicide himself to solve the perceived problem of overpopulation, has to give in his two cents as well, using another type of slavery argument for killing unborn babies. Well, let me
1: just tell you that if there's ever a time in American history where the men of this country must stand with the women, this is the moment. And I get very tired, very tired of hearing the hypocrisy from conservatives who say, get the government off our backs. We want small government. Well, if you want to get the government out of the backs of the American people, then understand that it is women who control their own bodies, not politicians.
0: Ah, small government. Small government sucks. I hate small government. I'm a socialist. But but I'm going to appeal to my Republican opponents who say they like small government to say, if you like small government, you should like killing babies just like me. Because small government means not intruding in a family's decision to kill their children (laughs) that's what bernie sanders is saying small government means women should not be stopped in killing their children very very strange type of reasoning there And Bernie Sanders hates small government. He's literally a socialist communist, has been for his entire life, has lived off the public dole his entire life, has never passed any type of policy that's actually benefited anyone, is himself a millionaire, but wants to take the money from the rest of the millionaires in the middle class and distribute it against their will. So, I mean, Bernie Sanders' moral compass has always been skewed. So it shouldn't surprise us that he also wants to kill babies. But he's actually appealing to the the small government conservatives that he hates, to say, if you're a consistent small government conservative, you know what? You should really be pro-abortion just like me. So because the government shouldn't be involved in restricting those types of family decisions, right? Hey, right. If you're a small government – and this is this is Tommy Laren's thing too, right? The, the uh, blonde conservative that everyone loves until she came out and said, actually, because I'm pro-gun and I don't want the government involved in taking my guns – it's the same reason that I'm pro-choice. The government shouldn't be involved in telling women not to slaughter their children. So there are these types of fiscal conservative socially liberals, which are basically just greedy Democrats, right? A fiscal conservative social liberal just means that you have a botched moral compass, but you like, you like capitalism that enables a free economy so you can get richer. So nobody really likes fiscal conservative social liberals and which is what Tommy Lahren is. But Sanders is not a fiscal conservative, but he's using these arguments to say if you like small government, you should like killing babies because that is the government being small and not intruding in those family decisions. So obviously, we all know Bernie Sanders has a horrible view of American government. (laughs) He should not be a senator. So that raises the question, right, what is the role of government? If the role of government is not to keep parents from killing their own biological children, even if those children are in the womb, then what is the role of government, Bernie Sanders? Well, the preamble of the Constitution tells us, right, it's to establish justice, Ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Okay, that's the role of government, Bernie Sanders. Well, you can't establish justice if it's legal to literally kill an entire class of human beings in the United States of America. You can't ensure domestic tranquility, peace, tranquilness in our land while it's legal to kill an entire class of those human beings. You can't secure the blessings of liberty if those blessings are legally denied to to an entire class of human beings. And you can't guarantee the blessings of that that liberty to our posterity, our future, if you're killing a million human beings that would become the future of America in the first place. So that's the role of government, Bernie Sanders. Now, how is he making a slavery argument, right? So Elizabeth Warren made the economic argument slavery argument for killing babies, Well, Bernie Sanders makes the small government racist argument for killing babies. This is actually not new, right? Stephen Douglas, the 1860 Democratic Party nominee for president who ran against Honest Abe and debated with him in those series of debates on the moral question of slavery, Stephen Douglas, the way he put his support for slavery was that he supported the right of each state to vote it up or down, to vote slavery up or down. Well, that is more of a small government position, right? The federal government shouldn't be involved in telling states what they can or cannot do on the question of slavery. So he said, well, I'm personally opposed to slavery. I support the right of each state to vote it up or down. So it was a small government argument for slavery, which is pretty immoral if it's wrong to mistreat human beings, if it's wrong to enslave fellow humans then the federal government absolutely has a role to restrict that type of behavior and not allow any state to allow that type of immorality in the first place. But this was a very popular argument. In fact, right here is a racist anti-abolition pamphlet advertising lectures on state rights to slavery, And this was distributed while abolitionists were trying to overturn slavery in the southern states that had voted it up, that had allowed slavery in the first place, right? And look, it says, let the rights of the states guaranteed by the Constitution be protected. This was a popular argument for slavery. The government shouldn't be involved in telling states whether they can enslave black people or not. And now Bernie Sanders is saying the same thing about unborn children. The government should not be involved in stopping parents from slaughtering their own unborn offspring. So the inalienable right to life, Bernie Sanders, cannot be cast aside in pursuit of small, in, a, in pursuit of a small government approach that sits back and does nothing while its citizens murder their babies, the posterity of the nation. That is not a, a moral argument for the moral question. abortion. But then Cory Booker, of course, has to give his two cents in as someone of intersectional credibility and makes a very strange argument for abortion.
1: This is a voting issue. This is a voter suppression issue. Right here in this great state of Georgia, it was the voter suppression, particularly of African-American communities, that prevented us from having a Governor Stacey Abrams right mask. And that is when you have undemocratic
0: means, when you suppress people's votes to get elected, those are the very people you're going to come af- after when, you, when you're in office. And this bill, opposed by over 70 percent, the heartbeat bill here, opposed by over 70 percent of Georgians, is the result from voter suppression. This gets back to the issue about making sure we are fighting every single day that whoever is a the nominee, they can overcome the attempts to suppress the votes, particularly of low-income and minority voters. So Cory Booker makes this very, very odd argument for abortion and against pro-life policy. So remember, the debate is being held in Georgia, where there's been the whole debate over the heartbeat bill and Hollywood denigrates saying that, you know, that we're not going to let anyone travel to Georgia and do business there because they don't want to kill babies like we love killing babies here in California. And so Cory Booker is talking about that heartbeat legislation that was being proposed in Georgia. And then referencing the failed candidacy of Stacey Abrams for the governorship in the gubernatorial race in Georgia by saying that African-Americans in particular had their votes suppressed in Georgia, blocking the election of Stacey Abrams and leaving us with the evil white pro-life governor, Brian Kemp. Now, there is no evidence of that whatsoever. Even PolitiFact.com, which the left largely respects, said that there was no evidence For that claim. And yet countless Democratic candidates and politicians have been going on national radio and television saying that Brian Kemp is not the legitimate governor of Georgia, that Stacey Abrams is actually the governor of Georgia and that there was election fraud and suppression of votes in Georgia. Like, okay, so there's no evidence of that. But what he's saying is that the abortion issue was used as a tool to suppress the votes of pro-choice African-Americans in Georgia who... had they not had their vote suppressed, would have voted in support of Stacey Abrams and another abortion-crazy governor. So that is a very strange argument to make in the first place. But he actually gets at a bit of truth, though he's not acknowledging Um, What truth he kind of hinted on. And that is that abortion actually does suppress votes. It suppresses the votes of unborn children who are murdered. (laughs) There's no better way to suppress a vote from someone than murdering them. They're dead. They can now never vote. And the irony here, and this gets to how Cory Booker is using racist slavery arguments for abortion is that the Democratic Party used slavery and racism to suppress the votes of African-Americans. We all know this. And now they use abortion to suppress the future votes of unborn children. So, I mean, obviously blacks couldn't vote at all when slavery was legal, right? And that was one thing that the racists were happy about. They feared the power of African-Americans' votes if they were given that opportunity. Why? Because you've just been whipping them and treating them like cattle for decades. Of course, you'd be afraid of their power in a vote. But even after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, it took another seven years, right, for the 15th Amendment to allow African-American men men to vote, just African-American men. So that was the 15th Amendment that allowed them to vote. Okay, so now they have that right. But even after that, Democrats weren't happy. Democrats had been racist for a very long time. And so they imposed literacy tests, an understanding clause, the payment of a poll tax, property qualifications, and disenfranchisement for minor criminal offenses, right? We all learned this in high school, that even after the 15th Amendment, African Americans were having their votes suppressed. And in some states, there was like 5% 5% of, of African Americans who were actually voting or were who were registered to vote because of all of these racist strategies that the Democrats were imposing in order to try to suppress the votes of African Americans. And it wasn't until the Voting Rights Act of 1965, practically a hundred years after the Emancipation Proclamation, that outlawed these discriminatory racist voting practices that were adopted in many Southern states. And then the votes of African-Americans shot up by hundreds of thousands, by 50, 60, 70, 80%. So Democrats have been using racism as a tool to suppress the votes of, the, of those they don't like for a long time. And now they support abortion, which eternally suppresses the vote of unborn children who were murdered. So <laughs> three leading Democratic presidential candidates Who all claim to be anti-racism, who all claim to be advocates of human equality, using the racist arguments of their political forebears in the Democratic Party to justify abortion. So that's pretty disturbing in and of itself. But the next uh, piece of news here from the New York Times is pretty disturbing. And this shows that Democrats are pledging their full fealty defeat aside. So New York Times published an abortion survey of the democratic candidates on November 25th by Maggie Astor and the questions had the questions were the following. How the candidates stood on abortion restrictions, where they stood on requiring judicial nominees to be pro-abortion. Where they stood on codifying Roe v. Wade into federal law, banning states from passing any type of pro-life legislation, where they stood on banning trap laws, the targeted regulation of abortion providers, where they stood on repealing the Hyde Amendment, which would force your tax dollars explicitly to fund abortion, where they stood on requiring federal pre-clearance requirements for state abortion laws. So no state can pass any type of abortion law without being pre-cleared and approved by Democratic hacks who love abortion and bow down to Moloch. And lastly, where they stood on over-the-counter abortion pills. So now we're just going to make abortions available over-the-counter at CVS. Want to kill your baby? Here you go. So Maggie Astor, who did the questionnaire at The New York Times, wrote a same article on November 25th called 2020 Democrats Move Past Safe, Legal, and Rare – Obviously, that's true. Nobody wants abortion to be rare anymore because their income and funding from abortion industries is tied to it not being rare. And so the following candidates were included in the questionnaire. Michael Bennett, Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Steve Bullock, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Joe Sestik, Tom Steyer, Elizabeth Warren, Marianne Williamson. And Andrew Yang. Only a few people didn't complete the survey. That was Steve Bullock, Cooley and Castro, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard and Kamala Harris. And so here were their answers. And this proves that Democratic candidates are pledging their fealty to feed aside unashamedly, unapologetically, and they're showing their cards. And we need to all take note. So when asked would they restrict abortion after 24 weeks, when we're already saving babies born alive at 21 weeks, 24 weeks tends to be a commonly more agreed upon gestational level at which we know unborn children are viable. Though in and of itself, viability is a subjective standard because it constantly shifts and changes based off of scientific and medical advancements that enable us to make unborn children viable at earlier and earlier stages. But do any of you want restrictions of killing babies after 24 weeks? Everyone said no, except Joe Sestick and Tulsi Gabbard. Now, Tulsi Gabbard has already said that before. She restricts third trimester abortions. She doesn't like that unless it's required to save the health or life of the mother. And health is defined so broadly, you could drive a Mack truck through it. So functionally, she would support third trimester abortions anyways, because it would be up to the woman and the physician to define what the word health means. But everyone else said no restriction on abortion after 24 weeks. This is infanticide, right? Because if a baby's born, we call it an infant. And it doesn't matter the age of the unborn child, when it's born, once it's born. We don't call it a fetus anymore. We call it a infant. So because babies can be born alive at 24 weeks and survive, at that point, they'd be infants. So that's literally infanticide. They're showing their cards. They don't care. They're unapologetic. How about requiring judicial nominees to support Roe? So you can't even be nominated to a judicial judgeship or or seat, unless you publicly say, I support Roe. All of them said that. (laughs) How about codifying Roe v. Wade into federal law, banning states from passing any restrictions whatsoever on abortion? All of them said that, that they would codify Roe v. Wade. Lovely. How about banning the targeted regulation of abortion providers laws? And yes, there should be targeted regulation of them because we've seen tons of abortion providers perfectly willing to provide abortions to underage women without parental consent to cover up And for sex traffickers and pimps who bring in women to get abortions, to not report if a baby's born alive during a botched abortion, uh, multiple women having been taken away by the ambulance because they're bleeding internally, of course they should be regulated. Okay, how about that? All those who responded said that they would ban the targeted regulation of abortion providers laws. Okay, how about repeal the Hyde Amendment? which keeps your tax dollars from explicitly funding the abortion industry. All of them would repeal the Hyde Amendment. Okay, how about provide the abortion pill over the counter? Now, you've heard me talk a little bit about this in the Profit Over People episode earlier. Go check that one out because Governor Gavin Newsom of California is going to force Cal states and UCs in our state to provide the abortion pill in their university health centers, ignoring CDC concerns and regulations that literally... 8% of women who take the abortion pill will have a failed abortion, meaning their baby will be dead, but won't come out of their uterus. So they're susceptible to sepsis and death. Um, and 24 women, 24 women have literally died taking the abortion pill since it hit the open market. Okay. So you can't really support that and say you also support women's healthcare, even if you don't care about unborn children, that abortion pill. Should we provide that over the counter to people? Bennett, Booker, Buttigieg, Steyer, Warren, Williamson, and Yang all said yes. Unsure was Klobuchar and Joe Sestic. And no answer was Biden, Bullock, Castro, Delaney, Gabbard, Harris, and Sanders. Nobody said no. They just said yes, unsure, or didn't answer. Lovely. So no one will say no to that, despite the fact that it will lead to the injury and death of young women. You should be opposed to that even if you hate unborn children, which they obviously all do. Okay, lastly, requiring federal preclearance for state abortion laws. Super unconstitutional, by the way. Super unconstitutional. would Totally go against all the federalist papers that support the rights of small governments and of states to make their own laws without the government reaching in, the federal government reaching in and telling them what they can do and what they can't do and when they can do and when they can't. Yes was Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Tom Steyer, Elizabeth Warren, and Marianne Williamson. No was Andrew Yang and Joe Sestic. And no answer was Biden, Bullock, Castro, Delaney, and Gabbard. So the only people that said no were Andrew Yang and Joe Sestic. And yet Andrew Yang said yes. Uh, yes, to repealing the Hyde Amendment, yes, to codifying Roe v. Wade, and yes, to requiring judicial nominees to support Roe. So that doesn't really mean a lot. This is unreal. They're showing their hands. They're pledging their fealty to feticide. They're openly pledging their life and their soul to Molech and the abortion industry. And so the New York Times 2020 uh, article um, by Maggie Astor Goes on and says, quoting Elise Hoag, the president of NARAL Pro-Choice America, they're setting the tone that this is something we should own proudly, said Elise Hoag, president of NARAL Pro-Choice America, and not just react to when something happens. That's right. That's right. She's exactly right. They're they're saying we own it proudly. We're publicly pledging our fealty to feticide. So this is important because you know now, we know. They're not staying silent about what they believe. They're not resorting to euphemistic double speak in order to try to hide their position and convince pro-life moderates to lend them their vote. They're saying, here's our cards, and they all have the face of Molech on it. Vote for me. So we now need to vote accordingly. We know they've shown their cards. If you're pro-choice, you should oppose all of these candidates because of how radical some of these positions are. So next, we're going to look at the Democratic Attorney General's Association initiating an abortion litmus test to intentionally weed out pro-life Democrats and Ruth Bader Ginsburg being hospitalized again for her health and watching the left lose its mind. But first, if you like the show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the pro-life movement from the abortion wars, which are heating up like never before, then become a patron of the show. Head on over to patreon.com unaborted and sign up for $5, $10, $15, $20 a month if you're feeling generous and help us expand the reach of this show, increase our production value, bring on guests and provide you some perks beyond what we are now so that you're equipped to defend life at this propitious moment in American history. Because as Greg Cunningham said, sadly, there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. Be one of those who will help us Save more babies, change more minds, and change more hearts. We'll be right back. So more evidence of Democrats publicly pledging their fealty to feticide, to abortion, to filicide, to killing babies who share a common human nature simply because they're located exactly where they're supposed to be and where we all came from. The womb. And so the Democratic Attorneys General Association has announced their uh, basically their abortion litmus test. <laughs> so the editorial board at Wall Street Journal on November 18th published an article called Purging the Pro-Lifers, which, by the way, I mean, props to them for using such an appropriate word. The editorial board at Wall Street Journal was actually critical of this decision by the Democratic Attorneys General Association to potentially go after pro-life Democrats and keep them from reaching the attorney generalship in any state in the country. So props to them for being critical of this ludicrous decision. And they used the correct word, didn't they? Purging the pro-lifers. Because the definition of purge is to rid, to get rid of whatever is impure, undesirable, which plays in perfectly to the worldview of abortion, doesn't it, in the pro-choice movement. Unborn babies are undesirable. They're unwanted. So let's get rid of them. Oh, by the way, if you don't conform to our ideology – even though you're a part of our pol- political party, then we're going to purge you too because you're unwanted too. So, I mean, this makes complete ideological sense in terms of worldview consistency. So good on them for using the word purging. So the article says anti-abortion Democratic office holders are about as rare as pandas, <laughs> but many in their party's leadership won't be satisfied until they're extinct. On Monday, the Democratic Attorneys General Association decreed that it will only give money and strategic help to attorney general candidates who publicly commit, make a public statement to supporting access to abortion. The message, if you're a pro-life Democrat or merely one with misgivings about the party's opposition to any restriction on abortion, don't run for attorney general or for any other office for that matter. <laughs> that's the message. So if, if that's not showing your hands that you're pledging fealty to feticide, I don't know what is. And this plays right along with the with the philosophical road and route that Democrats have chosen to take. At least they're being consistent. Because Democrats only care about diversity of intersectional values, don't they? They don't care about diversity of thought or values. They only care about diversity of intersectional virtues. So skin color, gender confusion, and basically divergent sexual preferences. That's the only type of diversity that they care about. They don't have any diversity for thought or values, which are the very things that matter most, right? Those are the things that are the most important about us because your skin color has nothing to do with how you live, does it? You could be a black Democrat. You could be a black Republican. You could be a black straight guy. You could be a black gay guy. Same with whites or browns or anyone else for that matter, right? So skin color is not the most important thing about you. Your gender identity is not the most important thing about you. Your divergent sexual preferences are not the most important thing about you. Your political partisanship is not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is your values, your ideas, and your thoughts, and that's why we see ideas have consequences, right? Because the ideas you hold, if left unchallenged, will become your values. And we all lit, live out of our values. Now, whether they are objectively values or vices is another matter in question, because right, the left thinks that their virtues are abortion, gender confusion, and any type of sexual relationship you want. But those are obviously not virtues, those are vices, but objectively The virtues that we hold are the most important things about us, but your values, whether good or bad, will dictate how you live, right? We all live out of our values. And the way we live is going to impact others. It's going to impact our friends, our families, and our country. And this is why ideas have consequences. If you hold bad ideas and so then you make bad decisions, that affects the social fabric, that affects the children that you have, that affects your family members and your friends and more broadly our society. And that's why our social fabric is disintegrating at such a rapid pace. So the very things that matter the most about human beings, their thoughts, their values, are the very things the Democrats don't care about. They don't want that type of diversity. And so they resort to ideological coercion. That's what they have to do. Because if if they're not going to allow diversity of thought, then they're going to have to either weed out those people or try to force them into thinking how they think in fulfilling the prophecies of George Orwell. (laughs) Agree with me. Actually, no, no, don't just say I'm right. You need to also say the same things I'm saying, right? This is the Orwellian Uh, big brother type of government that he prophesied about. So they're fulfilling all of his prophecies. So because they have no tolerance for diversity of thought, they have to resort to ideological coercion, which is the very antithesis of diversity. (laughs) You can't even have those things coexisting. So the message here from the Attorney's General Association, the Democratic Attorney's General Association, is publicly promised to defend killing babies or no money for you no money for your campaign, no help with your the advertising, no help from us whatsoever to get the attorney generalship in any state that you would wish to in the country. Despite the fact that many of those states are much more socially and morally conservative, and so it's going to be very difficult for democrats pursuing a position as attorney general in some of those states to get there by publicly saying they love abortion will support it, which is going to turn off large Sections of the electorate. So the Wall Street Journal says today's coastal Democrats seem to not appreciate that their refusal to show any tolerance for conservative social values is the one reason the country elected Donald Trump, right? That's the exact reason. The, calling the other side of the aisle deplorables and racists for holding conservative values did help catapult Trump to victory in 2016. It was, I mean, for most people, Trump was, we'll elect the middle finger. Yeah, he's a big middle finger to the left. I'm sick and tired of being called a deplorable and a racist for merely daring to disagree with Democrats and not get in line with their ideological coercion. So that obviously helped Trump win in the first place. But now they've moved past simply attacking those on the other side of the aisle and now attacking their own. Democrats are now attacking their own if they don't align with the absolute furthest left in radical positions, including the killing of babies. No money, no money for you. No help. No help with your campaign, and we're going to publicly ostracize you for daring to be a pro-life Democrat. The message is loud and clear here. If you're a pro-life Democrat, get out of town. You're not welcome in our party. So this is more evidence of their radical fealty to feticide. And this is important because this will push more people away from voting for a Democrat in 2020. In their sprint to the left... Because they think they have to pander to some percentage of the American public to get Trump out of office is actually having the opposite effect. And I'm frankly pumped on it because the left does not make a majority of this country. They tend to be the loudest, but they do not make up a majority of this country. The rest of the country is extremely turned off by this kind of gaslighting and it will most likely catapult Trump to victory again in 2020. So keep up the radicalness, keep up the honesty, keep showing us your cards so the rest of the American public who has a functioning moral compass will reject you, and rightly so. So lastly, we turn to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? The sworn enemy of unborn children, and I'm not joking, that's not hyperbole. She was hospitalized to John Hopkins in Baltimore on Friday, November 22nd, uh, after apparently experiencing chills and a fever earlier in the day. Now, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is 80, 86 now, right? She was she was appointed to the Supreme Court by Clinton. And she has had several health scares over the last year, including lung cancer and radiation treatment for pancreatic cancer. And uh, watching the leftist tweets after Ruth Bader Ginsburg was hospitalized is pretty, pretty funny. And I'm going to read some of them to you because this shows, right, this shows That this is all about abortion. This shows how fearful they are of losing the most radical seat on the Supreme Court, opening it up to another appointment from President Trump. So listen to some of these, check out some of these tweets. Prayers up for RBG admitted to hospital after chills and a fearfully and a fever. Hopefully she can go home tomorrow. Hang in there, Justice Ginsburg. We need you like never before. Well, there's the tacit admission that, that RBG is a radical leftist. You wouldn't need her if she was just ruling on decisions in line with federalist values and the uh, Constitution. <laughs> if, they, if she was a strict constitutionalist and textualist, nobody would need her because she would just be objectively applying the Constitution. Uh, Justice Ginsburg can have any of my organs she needs. <laughs> uh, please, Justice Ginsburg, fight, stay strong. Half of your nation needs you to be here for them. Yeah, the half that want to kill babies and know that RBG is a political hack. And then this woman says, for the love of God, keep this woman alive. I'll literally donate any organ necessary to sustain her life. And this other woman says, I'll go over and donate all my organs just in the off chance she might want a lung or something. I mean, just watching the left melt down over this is hilarious. It's hilarious because it's honest. It shows that they don't care in a constitutional republic. In the separation of powers and in the Supreme Court, that's only supposed to be there to apply the Constitution. They want a partisan hack who will apply a political agenda in order to continue protecting the enshrined right to kill your unborn child through all nine months of pregnancy. And so Joy Pullman at the Federalist on November 25th publishes a piece called Media Propaganda about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's health is irresponsible. And this is exactly right. This shows the partisanship and the biased nature of our supposed objective journalists. So check this out. She says, "On Sunday, CNN's reliable sources did a segment about President Trump's recent doctor visit that opened with host Brian Stelter questioning Trump says he went for a very routine physical because he had extra time. But does it all add up? Stelter brought on medical correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta to question the official story of what the Chiron called Trump's mystery hospital visit. Any time a 73-year-old man with clinical obesity and a history of heart disease goes to the hospital unannounced, obviously medical people are going to ask why. What prompted that, Gupta said. And keep in mind the president going to the hospital is a big deal no matter what. Gupta then tried to read the tea leaves into the hospital not being informed and prepped beforehand of the president's visit and the fact that a week ago the White House doctor rode with Trump in the car, which says he says is unusual. Gupta then worried about the possibility that the doctors were beholden to the president and might not tell Trump the truth about his health. Gupta reiterated these concerns in an accompanying 2100 word CNN article this same day (laughs) because our president went to the doctors. While CNN devoted all this to one news story about the top political figure's unannounced doctor visit, corporate media outlets in general have been busy sending the opposite messaging about a litany of health difficulties for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So what was the mainstream media's coverage of Ginsburg's health and hospitalization? I mean, she's literally going to the hospital. She's had two different types of cancer. She's had radiation. She's fallen. She's broken her ribs. She falls asleep during hearings. And what is their coverage of that compared to Trump going to the doctor once? Instead of 2,000 words of probing about the mystery behind Ginsburg's series of recent ailments, CNN Supreme Court reporter Ariane DeVogue pointed out evidence of Ginsburg vigor, such as her participation the same day she was hospitalized in an important Supreme Court conference. I have been watching her carefully since the beginning of this term, and she has been such an active participant, she's often the first one asking questions and she follows up. DeVogue commented, DeVogue failed to point out that Ginsburg has been known for the past 13 years to fall asleep during oral arguments, although she did mention that the justice has had cancer four times. This is a very strong woman who has had frail health at times, DeVogue concluded, but boy, she's a strong woman. (laughs) Is anyone saying that about Trump from this same media source, from CNN, facts first, facts only, because he went to the doctor once? Or saying this about Ginsburg because of all these issues. No, they're just, they're just saying all these things about Trump because he weighed one's doctor visit. So what's the reality of Ginsburg's health, right? Well, she continues. She says, if she were not a far-left political actor, Ginsburg's health record would not be lipsticked. It's also much worse than Trump. She's 13 years older than Trump, who was 73. She's been falling asleep in oral arguments since 2006. Ginsburg also fell asleep during two of Presidents Obamas State of the Union addresses and Pope Francis' speech to Congress in 2015. Ginsburg can barely get herself off of the Supreme Court dais. Another long-time situation. She is typically extremely hard to hear when she speaks from the bench. Two weeks ago, she missed oral arguments due to a stomach bug. She also missed two weeks of oral arguments in January due to lung cancer surgery. The first two times she was treated for cancer in 1999 and 2009, she didn't miss a day of oral arguments. In August, Ginsburg was treated with three weeks of radiation for a different cancer, pancreatic. And last November, she fell and broke three ribs. Ginsburg is simply and clearly not in good health. Unreal. Unreal. We've never had a Supreme Court justice this old, and when they were, they were pressured to step down by the other justices. So, what is really going on here? Why paint this beautiful picture of Ginsburg being this this healthy, strong woman who were? I mean, they even did a piece uh, where she's like working out in the gym and showing her lifting weights and all this stuff because she's so strong and so fit. I mean not going after her. Of course, she's not. Of course, she's frail and old. She's been sick. She's had cancer a bunch of times, and she's been there way too long. But why paint this beautiful picture of her as so strong, but then question our president's one visit to the doctor's office? Well, I think the answer is clear. I think just like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the left is being thrown into chills and fever over the possibility of losing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But unlike Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who obviously knows she's dying, right? the woman knows she, that she doesn't have a lot of time left, the left is covering their fever with therapeutic self-talk, if you will, convincing themselves that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is as healthy as a racehorse. Obviously, the, all, all the results are clear. All the evidence is there. We see that her health is failing. She probably doesn't have a lot of time left. And yet they're just resorting to the self-talk. She's fine. She's fine. She's strong. She's strong. She's so fit. Uh, Because they can't handle the reality. Because as usual, reality is always too much to bear for the left. That's why they stick their head in the sands and refuse to acknowledge simple biological realities. Because the reality is too much. It triggers them. And it forces them, if they're honest, to abandon their ideology. Because if Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies or retires, they know that Trump will appoint Amy Amy Barrett to the court, an outspoken pro-life Catholic mom. So, that's something they're obviously very afraid of and they don't want to see happen. And we all know that such an event may very likely cause large swaths of the American left, of the left in America, to spontaneously combust, <laughs> leaving them unable to coordinate the cry fests and violent riots that they would probably otherwise resort to. I mean, you thought you saw craziness when the uh when the last Supreme Court justice was nominated, Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> Just wait if Ginsburg steps down or dies. And then Amy Barrett is nominated to the court. It will be absolute mania in our country. And the left can't handle that. They would go absolutely nuts. And they don't want to realize that that may be a reality they have to deal with. So this is all about Democrats and the left's fealty to feticide. It's all about abortion. Abortion is the queen of the Democratic Party. She is the queen bee. She is the goddess. They will bow down at the altar of abortion, and anything that threatens the legal killing of babies will drive the left nuts. And Ginsburg is one of the oldest politicians to have pledged her fealty to Molech. We all know this. She's one of the oldest politicians to have done that. She's been around forever. And don't forget, in 2007, in the Gonzalez versus Carhartt decision, Ruth Bader Ginsburg Mm -hmm. voted against or voted against upholding the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act of 2003, which looks like this. You deliver a baby halfway through, you pull them out by their legs, then you stick scissors into the back of their neck, and then you open those scissors to create an opening in the back of their neck. Then you stick a vacuum cleaner into their brain, and you suction their brains out and and then you crush their skull and you pull them out. It's basically a decapitation abortion of a baby halfway delivered. Thank God we have a ban on that type of killing of a baby, at least, thank God. And that was the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act of 2003. But in 2007, the Supreme Court ruled on whether to uphold the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act or to not uphold it, making partial birth abortions Legal again. You want to know who voted to not uphold it? Ruth Bader freaking Ginsburg, the sworn enemy of unborn children and the oldest politician to have pledged fealty to Molek. This is what this is all about. This is all about abortion. And be ready. Get ready. Because 2020 will be all about abortion as well. The Supreme Court is beginning to examine different abortion cases. And it's possible that Ruth Bader Ginsburg could step down or die before the 2020 campaign, which would open up the seat for Trump to nominate Amy Barrett. 2020 is going to be an abortion blizzard. So be ready. I've called it. You've seen their cards. They're being honest. Now we have to vote and act. Accordingly, Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining me. Hey, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give us a rating and review. Tell us what you think so we can reach more people. And if you want to continue engaging with me and learning more, head on over to Gruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B is in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter, to check out my speaking schedule if you want to come hear me speak, um, and to just get training videos and to encourage yourself to defend life. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. <laughs>